Let's Talk, a podcast where migrant women discuss mental health. This podcast is brought to you by Akidwa and kindly funded by Bank of Ireland. Join us in our four-episode series where we discuss our experiences navigating the migrant status in the workplace, seeking asylum, being a mother, and in terms of access to mental health. And welcome to episode two of Let's Talk Podcast. My guests with me today are two usuals now. I have Shakir, our PhD research expert in psychology, and Samantha, our communications expert extraordinaire. And now I have with me a new guest today, Maymuna. Maymuna is a ball of talent. I don't know what this girl can know. <laughs> she can dance. She can make stuff from her hand, like jewelries, actual fashion clothes. I remember her actually even taking part in an art project that we had with Emperor. Like she's very talented and she's also really active in the migrant community. Um, I know you all know our countries now. Shakia is well, she identifies as an Indian national. <laughs> and Samantha is from Venezuela and Nigerian. And Maimuna is also Nigerian. So whoop whoop to Nigerians here. Yes. But... <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Um, Maimuna, do you want to just say hi to them and then we can launch? Mm-hmm. Hi. So my name is Maimuna Adams. I would never have described myself the way you did. So <laughs> thank you. I'm a student and I'm a mother. I'm a Nigerian. Mm. Yeah. And I'm trying to be some other things. Ooh. Yeah. Like what? Give us one or two. <laughs> I have no idea, actually. That's the biggest thing for me because, like what you said, I'm interested in a lot of things. Mm. And yeah, I guess the reason for my study is to focus my energy on stuff that are kind of important now relating to maybe advantages, disadvantages, inequality, diversity, mm. whatever we think that mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So very yeah. important. And with that, I'll just segue into our topic for today. Da, da, da. It's called the elephant in the room, direct provision. And for those who don't know what direct provision is, I'm going to read from the Citizens Information website, quote unquote. Direct provision is the name used to describe the accommodation, food, money, and medical services you get while your international protection application is being assessed or while you are an asylum seeker, which means the same thing. Anyway, basically what they're saying is that an asylum seeker and an international protection applicant are the same. And now I feel like we have to go into who's an asylum seeker. This is too much. (laughs) It's like a rabbit hole. But anyway, an asylum seeker is someone, a foreigner, who comes to a country to seek refuge that is to become a refugee in that country and what that means is to gain legal status um, as a refugee so within that process while you're applying to become a refugee you're an asylum seeker and therefore you're being provided direct provision which is accommodation food money and medical services and in ireland direct provision has been a very hot topic well if you're interested in like stuff that has to do with the migrant community or just human rights period Um, And it's been in the political space. But today we want to talk about it from the perspective of mental health, the policy of it. Because sometimes we're just talking in the air about the policy. What is direct provision? Should it be? Should it go? We want to talk about people who are actually in direct provision or the system of direct provision and how it impacts migrants mentally. So with that, I just want to ask if Mimuna can just touch on her understanding of what direct provision is. Because I'm saying what it is from a citizen information website, but 
as an asylum seeker, you might have a different opinion on what it is or what it is to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, direct provision, like, it's a lot of things for me. There's a lot, even now thinking about this, I don't know where to start from and I'm nervous. So, yeah, but um, it's just, it's stage, it's like, it's in stages. Mm. In the beginning, like, you're all excited that, oh, I'm here and I'm going to be protected and... Mm. Yeah, everything's going to be fine and I can get back to my life. But then the story changes. <laughs> How and, soon does it change? Oh, my God. <laughs> when like, you realize. <laughs> and the shock of it, like it just pours on you all at once. And then you see that it's not as smooth as you thought. You thought. And then like you start to think like, OK, what am I running from? You're starting to kind of weigh what you were running from and wow. where you are right now. Like, is mm-hmm. there a difference? Like, has there been a change? Because now your life, everything just stops and you're waiting. Some people that don't really know about Ooh. you, where you come from, there's somewhere deciding if your story is real, if it's true. Like, mm-hmm. people that don't know where you've been, they're thinking, like, <laughs> they're investigating you like a criminal. And they're trying to see if what you say you've been through is real. And that's just um, a big thing for me to kind of accept because I don't know, because like no one has been in my shoes. No one Mm -hmm. knows what I've been through. Yeah. And then you have all these people calling themselves professionals and they're looking for a little thing. The the hole. They're looking for holes in your story. It's so crazy. And then they pick up that... Thing that you call oh and they think oh everything is is not real it's a mm. lie because of that little thing forgetting that nothing I don't know so yeah even if like your story is actually authentic you mm-hmm. basically have to make sure it's bulletproof yeah and sometimes you actually have to pad it it's like to make sure it's bulletproof it's weird it's and like convincing someone that this is really my story you know yeah in a way like this is me this mm-hmm. is what I have been facing and mm-hmm. I'm here now so. You need, you're kind of begging and you have to, to believe me. Defend you know? your story. And like for me, what that causes is just, you're not, it's not a human. You're not trying to really understand that person. You just, the fact that um, people that are interviewing are immigrants, um, what's it called? They work for, um, is it migration? The Department of Justice. Yeah. Kind of, it's like, weird yeah. because like, these people were trained to guard borders. Yeah. They're trained to not let people in. So why are they the ones interviewing mm-hmm. people that need protection? Because their main focus would be that I don't want to let this person in. That's the main agenda. Do you know, like, and this is me just speaking as a trafficking expert, because people who are trafficked as well, they're victims. And this is the problem with identification. This is why we're saying, like, please, let's take the power of identification away from the police. Or even if we put it there, let's let's add more people. because. What is the role of the police? The role of the police is to protect people, yes. But by doing that, their first role is to actually secure secure people. So when in terms of securing the border, their job is to find out people who might have entered Ireland illegally um, and say leave or people who don't have enough grounds to be here. Mm. So then when you say, OK, I'm, I'm a person that's seeking protection as an applicant uh, for international protection, I'm an asylum seeker, or oh, I'm seeking the protection of the state, so I'm seeking status because I've been trafficked. I think that 
the law is suggesting that they can just change hats and then begin to have this victim-sensitive approach to actually seeing who they're supposed to evict as someone who they're supposed to support. Mm-hmm. And it's just not happening, like, to the extent which it should. And I think at, at the end of the day, it just means that migrants are getting the shorter end of the stick. And obviously, like, yes, the state has to protect its border. But then if you're actually going to adopt a human rights approach and have a policy in place mm-hmm. that protects people who are seeking refuge and people who have been trafficked, then please, let's get other experts. Mm-hmm. Let's just do that. Let's just do that. Let's give them, let's adopt. We're not saying take away the criminal justice approach, but we're just saying let's amp up the human rights approach so that it is mm-hmm. fair. Exactly. You know? um, like what you're saying, I was reading something lately about like trafficking and anti-trafficking measure and the definition of that put some people, it pushes them out of the fact that you need to not know about what was going on. You need to have been deceived. But if I'm saying these are the only people that are trafficked and these are the only people that have protection, what about those people that actually, they were not deceived. They knew they were being trafficked. They needed to be trafficked for survival. So if we're saying, mm-hmm. oh, this is hmm. the only meaning of being trafficked, then there's a problem because some people are neglected and mm-hmm. they've been trafficked. They're facing problems. They're facing whatever the issue is around being trafficked, even though you willingly went into it, doesn't mean you've been treated okay. Yeah. So you still need protection and support. Yeah, it's very interesting. And it you is. are doing all that where you're trying, I suppose, to win your case. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so yeah. you're navigating all that situation. The old policies yeah. around this person must be a victim. They must be scared. They must, like, all of these things. And we have to protect them as the savior kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, mm, that's yeah. very interesting. That savior doesn't help everybody. Yeah. And I, before we even go into just talking about like all the mental health issues that might come up from being a migrant in, in that community or in that space, I just want us to talk a bit more about like what is the accommodation system like? And I know that Shakya works with Akidwa, which is a migrant women's organization well, that is doing this podcast. <laughs> But then what I also want to highlight is just how much work they do in direct provision community. And if she can just shed some light in terms of, paint us a picture, what is direct provision outside what the citizen information is saying it is? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure so Maimuna would have the the most to say about this. But yeah, from, from my work at Akidwa, it's really difficult. I mean, first of all, the backdrop of all of this is the general housing crisis of Ireland. Um You know, there's just not enough housing being built for people not in direct provision who can rent as well. So, And before you go in, are you able to tell us, like, what is the actual system in place? So maybe not really experience, but the system. Like, what is the... Yeah, so the system is basically, like, you come in seeking international protection or Mm -hmm. asylum and you're placed in, like, what's called emergency accommodation, Mm -hmm. I believe. And a lot of those accommodations are like hotels that have contracts with the government Mm -hmm. to be used as emergency accommodation centers. And how long can you stay in a center, in an emergency center? I'm not sure, Ashley, about the time frame. Um, You're not supposed to stay there for very long because you're supposed to be moved to a an actual direct provision center Mm -hmm. in a couple of weeks at most. But what obviously happens is that the direct provision accommodation centers, which are, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be more like permanent long term ones. Those are obviously also filled to the brim Mm. and have horrendous conditions as well. So, 
people aren't being moved out of emergency accommodation as fast as they're supposed to. And so they end up living there for like months and months. Like what is the like longest duration of months you've seen? I mean, I know people who've lived there for like at least eight months to a year. In a hotel? In a hotel. And usually like those rooms are shared with multiple people who are, Mm. you don't know until you like meet them there. So like strangers. If you're a family, you tend to get a room on your own, like, you know, with, Mm -hmm. with your child and whatever. But Obviously, if you have like multiple children, a hotel room is tiny. There's no kitchen availability either. And you're always kind of, in terms of food, you're pretty much just allowed to eat what the hotel gives you at meal times. Mm. There's like designated meal times, and then you have to line up and like go get your designated portion of food. Mm. And you're you're not allowed to like get food outside of those designated meal times. The food itself is is horrible. There's no nutritional value to it at all. How do we know? But this is hotel. Like, hotel food, surely, like, you know how it's hotels are. It's not even hotel nice. food. No, like, so it's they not contract. Food? They, so you know how hotels have... Um, Okay. About, yeah, why not? I, I'd like to <laughs> rather have my Muna tell us what the food yeah. is like. I don't know, like... Were you, were you in a kind of in a, this type of accommodations, like in a hotel before in yeah, Muna? I've been in... Three hotels. Okay. Ah, I've been yeah. in the Balsaskin Reception Center. Mm-hmm. And I've been in a place that is supposed to be a hotel, but not a hotel. It's called Littrim Lodge. Okay. And mm-hmm. like the owner of the place lives in the same space. And yeah. So, so it's like a B&B or something like that. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with the food, it's really crazy. Sometimes I've been in, what's it called? Clayton Hotel. Mm-hmm. And Sounds I was nice. pregnant then. <laughs> I I really enjoyed the breakfast and okay. that was the main meal for me. But then every other thing is like a shock to me because I don't like those foods. Like, you know, mm. when you're coming into a new country, there's the cultural yeah, your palate shock. Is different. And there's all of that. Like with the breakfast, there were choices. Like I love the fruits, the cereals, the stuff. But then the lunch, they're giving you something that I you don't know about and like, then on you top of that you were, preg- you were pregnant uh, yeah. and you probably so were not really so you really wanted to with exactly. can, you, yeah. can you describe like what a lo- typical lunch would yeah. have been like be uh, in the Clayton Hotel though sometimes it could be like white rice mm-hmm. and um, as an Africa I want my white rice with sauce mm-hmm. and it's just white rice and then some sort of chicken and some white that <laughs> doesn't even know what she's eating. <laughs> she's eating. She can't even. Yeah, but, but I have heard that <laughs> no, I about understand. about the food. Yeah, yeah, I have heard that people, of course, challenge. I mean, maybe in this position is because this food is not what we used to eat in mm-hmm. our countries, mm-hmm. and that's that's fine. But I think it, it escalates to the point that people, you know, uh, some people don't eat specific foods because mm-hmm. you are part of a. Exactly. Uh, you are the part of a, re- a religion stuff. or you are uh, you have a medical condition mm-hmm. or you are pretty simple vegan or mm-hmm. something like mm-hmm. that or your community is a vegetarian mm-hmm. or something and so no, I have no, heard people you know, really nobody struggle caters to that like especially in a hotel like Clayton they're doing a generic stuff nobody cares about one person that says I can eat this, I can eat yeah. that because of my culture, because of my religion. Exactly. And yeah. then the fact that there's a time frame, like if you can eat at this time, that's it. Mm. 
Mm. So if you miss your dinner, yeah. you're going to yeah. go to bed hungry in so, effect. Yeah. And does that apply for children? It does. Because they're children. It does. Senses. Yeah. So there's That's no exception. Insane. It's dinner time for everyone. It's now or never, really. Yeah, it is. And you know what? There's something that I I don't know. I've always thought of in my time in Clayton. For some time, you know, I said about the breakfast, like we could eat with every other person. Mm. Like, you know, they were still running as a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Like, and then yes. after some time, they kind of separated us. Oh, the Took us to another And room. how many were you guys, would you say? We were many, actually. Like, right. give I can say, ballpark. I could say maybe 40 okay. to 50. Okay. And then we started getting, like, we were separated from the main customers. For some reasons, I have no idea. Yeah. Oh, I, this isn't... Yeah, this I mean... <laughs> crazy. The, yeah. What I've experienced mm. at working at Akidwa as well is that, like, it, it's very haphazardly kind of mm. set up as well. Some... Hotels and reception centers will like Are outsource great. a lot of their like yeah. meal preparation to companies like Aramark or like Al All Pro. All mm, Pro, is one yeah, no, I know All Pro. Um, not like the not the milk. I was thinking thing. of the milk. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that one. That's what I thought as well. But like they're uh, just just like a biz. They're just a business, and so their whole thing is like you know increasing their margins. Mm-hmm. They don't care about how nutritious the meals are or anything. They'll give you like the cheapest, like whatever meal. And something that we found out recently is that some centers give different amounts of food to men and women. Like they give men more food, food which is like, (laughs) which seems, which is just like insane. But also it seems like more work for them to like have to, like separate out like the men and women's food and like give them different amounts i'm like why would you create more work for yourself first Mm -hmm. of all um and yeah the separating like it seems like you know a lot of the hotels and the the businesses like all pro i keep saying all pro (laughs) all pro people from all pro will come after us (laughs) no 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 Alpro milk, I love you. I'm a vegan. I love you. Um, no, but Alpro, for example, like, you know, they kind of see like the direct provision clients or like getting a hotel or accommodation center as a client to be like one of the worst assignments. There's no sort of thought put into it. It's just kind of like, oh, we're getting money for this. But like, yeah, we need to feed these people and just get it and, done. And that, yeah. And when I came here and I was like, people are using hotels as like asylum-seeking accommodation. Mm. That's such a weird like, you know, like thing to do off, in the, the first top place. Of my head, I, in my head, I'm just thinking, oh, this, I wouldn't mind being in the hotel. Like it's, it's not what I would consider as horrible. Like I'd be like, oh, I'm living in a hotel. But then when you talk about for months. The, it, there's a double standard. In, uh, it's months, but you're treated different. Like yeah. you're not, it's not your not a hotel not guest. You're being <laughs> treated as an inferior person. There's obviously a lot of racism with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. The regular guests, mm. like who may be racist, don't want to interact with like the asylum seekers. But yeah, and, and on top of that, it's not purpose built for like, long-term living yeah, and, as and, well yeah. even like the fact that they have sharing is like yeah you can say oh it's if you picture an asylum seeker as one person coming and you're saying okay you have to share a room okay we can even look look aside from that but then especially in the housing crisis 
But with a family, I couldn't imagine sharing a room with my parents for eight months. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> I suppose, again, is uh, what we were talking in episode number one. Mm. Um, is just that resilience. Again, like you mm. are in this new country, I suppose, but you are still in a very challenging environment and you are need you need to navigate in this situation of being yeah. uh, with maybe strangers in the same room. So, so yeah, I suppose that's how people deal with mm -hmm. it, I suppose. Like yeah. boarding school and yeah. then you make a friend or a foe. Yeah. <laughs> like boarding school, but you can't go home. <laughs> exactly. There's nothing like that. And you don't know where you're going even after the decision has been made. There's just the fear of that. Like there's a lot going on and like some people are not from their experiences and trauma and stuff like that. Putting people in accommodation, they don't really design it on an individual's experience. Like everybody's just mixed. It doesn't matter where you're coming mm -hmm. from, from war, from trafficking, anything that it is. You're just in the same space mm -hmm. with children and family. Oh so that's that can be horrible. <sighs> and sometimes that's why you hear like, People fight, they mm. they hurt each other. That's been I heard there's been a, a lot, lot of that. like sexual violence exactly. I've heard yeah, for, so. for for women and like just as a section violence, like I wouldn't I don't want to say enthusiast because that's weird, but like I'm very passionate about <laughs> things that involve like the marginalization of women. Mm -hmm. And just the stories because I've done in my work with the kid wife done um consultancy research um around basically gender-based violence and even in my work on DraftKings, just talking to women as well, it seems like in centers, there's been reports of like rape in, in some centers and mm -hmm. like sexual harassment, like verbal harassment in, in centers. And I, I remember literally last month going to one of the centers and one woman said to me how, oh, she thinks she might be pregnant. And this center is an all-female center. So I was like... I'm not sure if there's curfews or what in place, but the women don't seem to leave much. So it was very interesting to see. And it's just like, okay, who, who's this person? Because she's alone. She came here alone. And she said, oh, she's not in a relationship. She just met a guy. And I'm just like, this sounds like a dodgy story. Mm. But at the same time, like sometimes the dots are not connecting. It's someone saying, oh, like I'm pregnant and I don't know who this person is. And it's just like, I don't know what's happening in the centers. And it's impossible to know from outside, of course. But I feel like there's just such high risk of gender-based violence because of the way it's been, like because of the intermix as well. At the same time, I understand that it can be quite a, a bit of a fix for the states, especially in a crisis where they're literally having to put um, eviction ban on landlords to stop, you know, people from being homeless. But mm. at the end of the day, there's a conundrum. There's like a big, I don't want to swear. But before we like keep going on about the accommodation and the food, I want to talk about like the weekly payments and the fact that it's actually increased. Um, I think it used to be 18 euros or so. Or 20, yeah, 20 or something around. Yes. Um, weekly. Yes, weekly. But now it's it's gone up to 38. Thank God. This is according to the citizens information. <laughs> and um, 38.80 per adult and 29.80 per child. Is this enough? Of course it's not. No. <laughs> But if you're getting food every day, what would you be using your money for? I have one, like a phone bill, especially the one that lets you call people at home because you mm -hmm. actually don't have friends here. Okay. I have to pay, this is me on Vodafone, I have to pay 30 euros every month. And the reason why I have to go for that plan is because that's the only plan that um, allows for international calling. It allows me 100 minutes every month. As an immigrant, 
I need those hundred yeah, minutes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose a, a phone bill will be between twenty and thirty. Yeah. So, the, what other menstrual products? Menstrual yes. products. Uh, or maybe they provide those. Some centers provide them. A lot of them mm. don't provide I've them. I've never been provided a sanitary okay. product. And they are I've very expensive. They're expensive. Yeah, like mm-hmm. the good brands are yes, very yes, expensive. Yes. Also, Sorry, just I to, want us to do math. So how much would you say that that might, cost, might take away? Like 10 euros a month on menstrual products. If you're not being very miserly or like seven, six I will say 10 euros to a okay brand yes. that it will yes. solve there. Yes. And to have like, and this is a women's podcast. So I'm going to say 10 euros. <laughs> yeah. It depends if you have a heavy flow as well. Yes, that's, that's what I was going to say. And you need, so even if you say maybe you want to have some tampons in there during the day at night, because mm. you don't want to have toxic shock, which is everyone's worst paranoia. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Nobody knows anyone that's had toxic shock. But you're so afraid <laughs> of toxic shock. But you you don't want to you want to have like the option between a tampon and a pad, and obviously there's different days. So if you want to be, if you're not trying to like, if you don't want to be miserly about it, if you actually just want to treat your body the way it should be treated, with having different sizes of products for the different days mm-hmm. and different flows, then yeah, you need ten years mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, yeah. So that's already gone. Also, little offers. A couple of like free period products to okay. women who can't afford them. Just so how do you identify as someone I think that can afford it? They don't. They're not going to like check or anything. Mm. It's like based so you on just you go asking. I think you oh, need the so you need funny. to download the app on your phone. Hmm. Um, hmm. But yeah, just for anyone who might be need interested. free period. Yeah, products. like put the information out there. Like whatever information we can. No, we're not being sponsored. Yeah. But then it's free, it's charity. <laughs> yeah, let us know. And other maybe expenses will be transportation, maybe. Diapers mm-hmm. yeah. for children. <gasps> like oh, if you, you have a baby. That, yeah. yeah. And then, I don't know, I always think for some reason about medicines. Like, I think yeah. they're yeah, very, very expensive here in Ireland. Like, what do you think? And I don't know, yeah, like stuff like ibuprofen or something. Yeah, just like having painkillers. Is, What is the um, healthcare situation like? There's a medical card, I believe. There is, actually. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't cover everything. Like, you need to have been recommended or prescribed Mm -hmm. by your doctor to be able to use the medical card. Okay. And lately, it's been difficult for some people to access the medical card for some reason. Maybe because there's been a lot of people coming in. I don't know. Like, they're asking for things that people can't provide, like, Obviously, if you're seeking a protection, international protection, you can't access things from your country. Mm. That's even illegal. Mm-hmm. That would be illegal. But yeah. I've had a case where someone was asked to bring some document from each country to be able to access the medical card. So there's certain barriers mm-hmm. to yeah. get in the card. So, yeah. Or now that we're talking about um, female, like even to get contraception. Is that cover? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is, actually. Okay. That's good. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a good one. That's yeah. really under, yeah. Definitely, because you don't want to be, yeah. Um, no, because I'm, I'm asking because you need prescription and then on uh, top of that, you need to buy it. So it gets very expensive when mm-hmm. you're trying to do all that process. Yeah. I believe it legally is free mm-hmm. for women up to 26 years. It is. Now. Yeah. Or so. even 30, yeah. It's true. I want to apply with it. Oh, over, yeah. I think it, it was now. raised to 30, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Are you? Uh, this year, no. sadly. Oh, my God. I am confessing this. <laughs> I can apply because oh this year God. will be 31. So, yeah. I think I'm, <sighs> I'm thinking of applying. I didn't know that it was free. Like, 
I feel like I've gotten pills here and they weren't free. Like the yeah, actually recently I got pills, them here free. and they didn't tell me anything about that. So I'm gonna go check oh, next yeah, time. Check like, yeah, so there's a way. You can claim it. Yeah, um, I just got like a citizen uh, leaflet mm-hmm. at home, and they said that that it was thirty, and then I was like. Oh, it's a shame that I'm 30. So 31. do you have to apply? Yeah, exactly. So, so if you go to, say, a doctor, the doctor doesn't tell you that you're eligible for this, like, or... No, they, my doctor doesn't tell you. Know, yeah. But, yeah, but no. Um, it's like the farmers want to make money off of Yeah, even exactly. Yeah, because everything. for that, you need to go to yeah. a GP or... Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah like, my GP uh, sent a prescription. Obviously, they know my age. So hmm. like, nobody told me that. Yeah. And then I had forgotten that it was supposed to be free. Okay, and now that we've kind of just talked about the system generally, I just want to hone in down on mental health and probably round that before that. So I personally believe that all the things that we've kind of talked about, they would have a bearing, especially if someone is a refugee or seeking seeking refugee status so as an asylum seeker, their own trauma or like whatever they're running away from. Like you said, like literally comparing what you're experiencing now. Mm. So it's like, it's watch the fact that what you're experiencing now can somewhat compare and what is supposed to be protection, like how that might have a toll mentally. So that question is directed <laughs> at me. That's up to you, <laughs> You're on the spot. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll focus on me or myself. Like, it's crazy. Like, even now, it's just like you've been waiting for this thing all your life. Like, you've been waiting to get um, oh. the legal status yeah. in the country and then you get it you're, like you were hopeful that oh yeah things are going to change you're going to be better you're going to have a life things are going to start for you and your family but then it's <laughs> it's a shock for you and then you realize that it's not as simple as that because mm-hmm. a lot has happened like okay if I want to use example of housing now I'm trying to access the rental market or whatever one I could get. And I'm just realizing for me that being in the direct provision, being an asylum seeker that I have been for so long has built up so much barriers for me Hmm. that I I kind of catch up within a short period of time. And all of this is just pouring down on me. Like, I'm just realizing that I'm not better from my position last two years because I got my status last you year. You got your hijina. Yeah. Yay. Ooh, nice. <laughs> this is the immigrant dream. Yeah. Like, get your Congrats. <laughs> I know. Like, I, I'm supposed to be happy about it and all, but I'm not because nothing is changing. It's still difficult. People are still looking at me as that girl or maybe I'm the one yeah. looking at myself hmm. as the girl that with no confidence, with nothing, no footing in this country and no one to kind of advocate for me mm-hmm. or stuff like that. I find myself crying. Like two weeks ago, I was crying on the bus. I do that as well. For no reason. <laughs> I'm I, I couldn't stop crying. People were looking at me. Oh, so gosh. I'm just, because I can't give a definition to what mental health is like. I'm just mm. trying to say this mm. is how it is. It's just a like, feeling. Yeah. I can't describe it. Like sometimes I'm laughing and sometimes I'm just crying and I can't come out and say that I need help. I need support because I'm scared for my daughter as well. Because, you oh, know, yeah. how it is yeah. in the country I that if you say something. <laughs> gonna, yes. Yeah. So I have that fear. Like, who do I trust? Because I don't want my mm-hmm. child to be taken away. But then I'm 
silently going through all this isolation, all this, like, it's a lot. Yeah. And I wanted to ask, having a community of asylum seekers, does the fact that you also have people there, does it help? Because we talked about it just in the last episode, just being lonely as migrants coming here on your own and trying to just make it. But if you're coming and you're basically going into a community of basically migrants, you're able to find some people with ethnic similarities. Is Mm -hmm. it, would you say that your own experience hasn't been as lonely because of that? Like, is that some solace at least? I think so. It would be, well, up to an extent Mm -hmm. because from my background, coming from my background, it's hard to really talk to people about how you really feel or what you've been through because uh, it's been about hiding and keeping secret and trying to protect yourself. So Mm. even if the community is there, but it takes you being vulnerable, opening up and actually connecting to be able to feel that community. But then if you have this barrier that's keeping you from actually being vulnerable, like you don't know who to trust, then like the community is just there and you're just there hanging. And, On your own, basically. Yeah. So you're not really in, I yeah. guess. I want to perhaps uh, do a last question okay. um, from my side. Um, Memora, do you think, just looking at the positive side, uh, do you think like in direct probation, there was a community? Did you find someone that you connect with? Uh, something that you enjoy. I'm just curious yeah, yeah. because Please, uh, gloom. Just, I suppose <laughs> there is a spark <laughs> everywhere. So yeah. did you find someone that you admire that you looking at the positive that you like to, <laughs> to, to talk to or some something like that? Um yeah, tell us. <laughs> that would be very difficult for mm. me to like it's hard to see anything positive about oh, that. Definitely, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> for me at all. But then like you said, the people like I was moved to um counter Wexford mm. like when my child was four months old. And I actually met some the place was horrible. We didn't talk oh, about gosh. that. But yeah, I don't want to talk about that now. But I met a woman like that I ended up calling grandma. <laughs> yeah, and somehow I've, I'm still in touch with her. Being who I am, like, it's really hard for me to connect with people. Very, very hard. But I still find that in some way, I'm still in touch with this woman. And she supported me. Like, she likes my crafts. And we kind of have similar fashion sense. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, so you that, find someone, you see? Yeah, that was good. Okay. Do you yeah. know what? In the spirit of positives, I want you to give a good shout out to <laughs> the centers that were actually decent. Oh, that would be the one I'm in now. Like, oh, which yeah. one is that? That's the Dublin Central Inn. Which one? The Dublin Central Inn. Yeah. Dublin Central Inn. <laughs> this is a recommendation for you. <laughs> and with shout that, out. Yes. Yeah. I want to just thank everyone again for making their way here and thank you especially for listening. And with that, I want to say we're done today. And please listen to our other episodes where we'll be exploring mental health of migrant women, which we are in Ireland. Thank you so much. That's all, folks. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed our session. Join us for more episodes on mental health. And please note that this podcast was brought to you by Akira, kindly sponsored by the Bank of Ireland. Until next time, take care and have a good day. And please take care of your mental health.